Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome back to Keep It, where just like Megan McCain, we are not living without our guns. Or Kirsten Dunst on TV. Reuters tweeted out about her getting her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Which was pretty and, rad. And they labeled the tweet, Kirsten Dunst, best known as playing Spider-Man's girlfriend. That drew, truly drives me to suicide. <laughs> Literally, not what exciting. an insult. Yeah. What an insult. Char Giselle is yes. insulted. Yes. Uh, also, hello, welcome to Keep It. Hi, thank you for having me. Or the Kirsten Dunst fan club, as yeah. it is today. Listen, I'm all for it. I love Kirsten Dunst. Her new show is great. She is on hilarious be- and devastating, yeah. which are the, the, the signature blend <laughs> that Kirsten brings. On Becoming a God in Central Florida is very fantastic, and it's sort of lived in and just sort of southern trash, gothic, very Flannery O'Connor mm-hmm. meets True Blood. A good trash is hard Sounds to find. Sounds like my kind of carrying on. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. uh, I, really, I really enjoy it. I was, I was shocked by the twist in the pilot episode um, because one of the characters is just in there for the pilot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought that it was such a good sort of funny show for her to be in. And she's always been funny. I mean, I know that she gave an interview recently where she talked about how she's never felt very powerful in Mm -hmm. Hollywood because people just sort of think of her as the girl from Bring It On. Mm -hmm. But Bitch, Bring It On is a great movie. And also, her movies have this weird record of catching on either well after the fact or just building in fandom as the years go on. And she mentioned that as much, too. Uh, But I specifically love, she did a movie called Bachelorette about eight years ago. Bachelorette's so funny. She is, first of all, it is about some mean women. Which, (laughs) I mean, often we're so in this world of characters who, like, call themselves a mess or they're, you know, like a little bit off off kilter. These are horrible people who are terrible to their friend getting married, and it is life affirming. <laughs> Lizzie Kaplan, also so evil. And our friend Adam Scott's in it. Also written and directed by Leslie Headland. Oh, yes. Uh, who I adore, uh, who has said multiple times that she wants to be on Keep It, and maybe she should just come to LA. She also it. is in charge of Russian dolls, so she's just a damn saint. Yeah. Um, Bring It On, I feel like, has been really sort of acknowledged as a great comedy as we've gotten older. It's so not many just lessons seen from as that like movie. a teen movie. <laughs> so many lessons, so many <laughs> life lessons from Bring It On. You know, you, it exposed you to a lot, definitely. <laughs> Including Gabrielle Union. Yes, Gabrielle Union. What's very interesting, too, is you know how you usually see the trajectory of white stars and black stars in Hollywood? It's always like, Oh, well, this black star, like, should have had, like, an amazing, huge career uh, as opposed to some random white person they were in a movie with. But it seems like they've sort of had even a sort of similar trajectory. I mean, Gabrielle Union maybe is slightly more 
well known and recognizable mm-hmm. than Kirsten Dunst, like to the random person on the street. Oh, you think so? I yeah. think they've both been. They're both people that are dependable in a certain context. Mm-hmm. You can expect to see them at a certain rate, mm-hmm. but you're right; they're never just glorified and deified enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And Gabrielle Union would probably assist in her star power is, you know, like her husband. Mm-hmm. And she has a lot of other things, a lot of little pockets of And it's of different income. when you're sort of like a black celebrity because at least yeah. like black people know who you are. Right. Being so, Mary so Jane. You, yes. Yes. <laughs> being Mary Jane. Like she has that sort of power yeah. as opposed to, you know, I feel like more black people probably know Kirsten Dunst from like Bring Specifically it on from Spider-Man. Bring It On or Interview with the Vampire yeah, or Spider Man. Kind of yeah. Where um, most of the general public, they're like, they're not seeing melancholia. Yeah. Right? But they should. <laughs> yeah. It still drives me crazy. I think now Bohemian Rhapsody is the number one, quote unquote, LGBT themed movie of all time. But for the longest time, Interview is with it? the Vampire was number one. It's is like, it? does that count? Okay, <laughs> fine. Can we take that from Bohemian Rhapsody? No, right. Can it be revoked? <laughs> yeah. Lies. Sp- spread among the films of Todd Haynes or something. <laughs> Lies on top of what? <laughs> Uh, But, yeah, I think that um, obviously that tweet was stupid, but um, I don't think it was wrong to necessarily refer to that as her best known role. It is the role that made her the most money. It's a blockbuster. But I would say that Spider-Man is enough in popular culture and has been for decades that you could have just said best known as Mary Jane from the Spider-Man movie. Yes. Yeah. Oh, People know yeah. who that is. Yeah, the phrasing is really crazy. I yeah. mean, soon, it, are we going to get like a tweet with, about Marissa Tomei being like, Spider-Man's daughtering old aunt, Marissa Tomei. <laughs> it just seemed reductive. It just seemed like they were reducing her career down to that specific moment in that specific film. Yeah. Oscar unfair. thief, Marissa Tomei. I'm kidding. You know, I thought she deserved that Oscar. Right, yes. <laughs> uh, Kirsten does Emmy nominee for Fargo. Come on, there's lots of ins. Yes. Uh, she was fantastic in Fargo. Duh. Anyway, Kirsten Ben Dunst, mm-hmm. watch On Becoming a God in Central Florida. Which it's I always want to put to the theme, or which I always want to put to the tune of It Never Rains in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's possible. Somebody put that together for me. <laughs> Twitter, do your thing. Remember what people say. <laughs> we have a fantastic show today. We are going to be joined by Randall Park. Um, Speaking of dependable actors. Yes, dependable and fantastic everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will also be getting into it about Dave Chappelle's new comedy special. And (laughs) Char's face. (laughs) (laughs) And Troye Sivan's latest scandalous interview. Clap back. What a moment. (laughs) What a moment. Keep listening. This is Keep It. Dave Chappelle came in hot last week with his new Netflix special, Sticks and Stones. What a title. Very (laughs) T-Swift. Very, very on brand for her. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I did something bad by Dave Chappelle. Uh, And it took aim at everyone from... LGBTQ people to... Whom I hate. Right, right. Uh, Fuck those faggots. Um, Plus uh, critics of R. Kelly, critics of Kevin Hart, critics of Louis C.K. Who are all the same, by the way. All those those (laughs) levels of badness, the same. Michael Jackson accusers. Oh, that was the The Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. It was wild. First, before we get into any of this, did you find any parts of it funny? 
I will, well, I'll say this. There are certain comedians who, just by the sheer virtue of the way they deliver words, mm -hmm. it is kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Like, he always will have that. You know yeah. what I mean? Just a certain comic thing about him. In terms of ideas delivered, the answer is no. And mm -hmm. I, I say that sincerely. There mm -hmm. wasn't one thing he said during the show that I found novel. Because first of all, I just wish we had more late 40-something comedians who are over it. That's very new <laughs> to me and moves the conversation forward. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but for the most part, I mean, obviously these all these different topics are different issues. But let's talk about the Michael Jackson thing. He talked about how basically kids would be lucky to be molested by Michael Jackson <laughs> so, since the rest of us are molested by other people. I mean, honestly, that drove me nuts. Yes. To mm -hmm. me, the point of that rant was basically to say there's no such thing as molesting a boy. Mm -hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? That in a way they want sex ultimately and then will brag about it. Mm -hmm. To me, that was even as harmful than just discrediting Michael Jackson's accusers wholesale. Mm -hmm. See, part of me thought that it was going somewhere. Every time he brings yes, up a subject, it skimmed you think the surface. it's going yes. somewhere. Because when he brought up a lot of us in this room have been molested, probably. Statistically, yes. Um, and I wondered if he was about to share something about his story, about his life or right. something. And we'd get like a really sort of revealing moment from him. But no, we and I, didn't. And I kind of felt like I knew the tone of this going in because I had seen like clips on Twitter mm -hmm. specifically. People have really been going up for his one bit about comparing the N word to the F word. Mm -hmm. But I was like, even that didn't land. Are we are we acting this obtuse that marginalized right. people don't reclaim certain terms like certain yeah. like I just I was looking for more much like you all just mentioned. And it just landed f so flatly to me and was overall not funny. Right. So that was the point where things really started sticking to me about what this special was. He talks about about how when he was making Chappelle's show, there was a sketch with the word faggot in it. And mm -hmm. standards and practices was like, oh, well, you can't say this word. And he's like, well, I can say nigger as much as I want. Um, and she's like, well, because you're black, you know, and well, you're she not said, gay. You can't say, right, you're not you're gay. gay. So he and he's like, like so I'm not a nigger either. That's like and the like, punchline. Like, <laughs> but it's also like every black person who says that word, they're not one either. But it's a reclamation, right? It's <laughs> my neither. <laughs> that is a reclamation of that yes. word, you know. And it is no one has ever hurled faggot at Dave Chappelle, right? So it's like, why would he even enjoy wanting to use the the joy with with him wanting to say the word is the joy you get with white people when they're like, well, why can't I say the yeah, word? You absolutely. Know? And it is so frustrating always to see when straight black men. Um, can understand racial oppression and the nuances of it when it comes to black white issues, but it completely jumps out of the window when it comes to queer which issues. I don't understand because yet again it's the erasure of the intersections of black LGBTQ plus people exist. David, mm -hmm. like being LGBTQ. Oh, I don't know any. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he's like, you know, and I have, you know, some friends yeah, who are in the alphabet, as he calls it. I'm like, which is even they, more I'm like, lame. I'm like, are they all white gays? Yeah. They also, must be. I can't believe he actually said, I have friends who are LGBTQ. Like, really? Really? <laughs> so allow me to go on this obtuse rant about them. Yes. He also, he makes a metaphor about how every quote letter in the alphabet, I hate that trite shit. Anyway is its own struggle, but they're all, then he tried saying they're all in the same car and Q isn't allowed to get in the car. Where are you getting your intel? 
<laughs> Tia's looking out the window. Now, see, some of that had some truth. I think some of that joke did have a little bit of truth in it, just coming from the position of a black trans woman. You know, sometimes you don't feel heard all the time within the, the community, but... I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you the, just said. Oh, let, me, let me repeat that for you. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, some of the things I was like, like I kind of perked up like, mm, and then it landed so flatly. Just going mm-hmm. back to my initial point, I did not enjoy any of it. The the molestation content in particular made me so uncomfortable. It kicked off with the molestation <laughs> content too. It was like, all right. Yeah. Um, the Me Too criticism <sighs> made me so uncomfortable, but it's expected from right. someone. He just appeared like the old crotchety black uncle who's unwilling to evolve mm-hmm. and listen to me type thing. And even just looking at the audience, this is so random. But I think at one point, because I was like kind of looking at the audience, I think Giselle Bryant from Real Housewives of Potomac was in the audience. Like, <laughs> bro, I'm dead serious. Well, she, she is massive. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, the, the special, it just seemed like he was just saying, inflammatory things just for kind of like sound bites. And I personally think any comedian worth their weight in comedy, if you're going to to punch low, you got to be colorful in your language. Like a joke can be delivered about anybody and anything, but you got to, you know, it's a call to action. Get creative. This felt lazy. It did feel lazy because it feels so different from the comedy that we loved from Dave Chappelle before. And, you know, like, I've always found Dave Chappelle incredibly smart, um, incredibly funny, um, and really good ideas that always really work, particularly in Chappelle's show and his earlier stand-up. Um, and I even his most recent stand-up, with, some of it was he had other trans stuff in that other one, too. Well, I but don't I know felt what, like, was his, what his obsession is <laughs> with the trans community. I, I would like to know. Uh, but even that special I found funnier, mm-hmm. aside from that, than this one. This one felt so much like he has nothing to say anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like he's looking at trending topics on Twitter <laughs> yes. and quote-tweating <laughs> just so he can get retweets and face because... On and we all know show, that person on Twitter. Yes. We uh, all know that person. Uh, on Chappelle's show, he was talking about things that affected him, you know, affected our community. And this, it's like, why are you making jokes about trans people? Like, do you know a trans person? You're not trans. Well, like, according why the fu- to him, what the he fuck, does. It's like, what the fuck do you care? That's what I don't understand. It's, it's, he's making jokes about things that I legitimately do not think he gives a fuck about. Well, specifically, also, I think you can tell that's the case because what the special actually started with was him quoting 1999 by Prince and leaning in on the words, try to come for my destru- come for my destruction. You know, I didn't even care. Basically self-martyring, like whatever, come for me, sticks and stones like it doesn't bother me. Like that's your that's what you lead off with before you go into these truncated uninformed rants about LGBTQ people, like we're just after you, which calls to, which uh, brings to mind something else that upsets me uh, that he kind of invokes in this special. The idea of cancel culture, which is something that comes up again and again. Obviously, we talk about it on Keep It. How about I am sick of saying those words. It's like the words fake news. Somebody I fucking hate came up with it to justify some Republican point of view. It is not real. Cancel culture is a bullshit term. Let's call it consequences culture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Having to answer for shitty things you fucking say and having other people not like where you're coming from. And they might have a valid point of view and it might mean bad news for you. Right. And it seems like so many people are focused on... I can't tell certain jokes anymore. Oh, my gosh. Which, you know what? Pete Davidson, yes. Jerry Seinfeld. It's like, hello, <laughs> comedy 
changes. We're not laughing at fucking episodes of the honeymooners right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you can't come out with the same jokes that people were telling before. Comedy, I feel like, dies on the vine much more than any other medium that we're into. You know, you have to switch it up. Um, And it's him it's him trying to be edgy, you know? It it was like um watching um a Jenny Johnson stand-up special. <laughs> what a crazy story. <laughs> well, also, it just I started thinking about it it just feels to me like the worst thing that can happen to a male comedian, usually young, is that they are considered edgy. Because what happens, it seems like, is then they get it in their heads that they themselves, the way they are in that moment sort of unthinkingly, are the gift. They always will be a gift, and they don't have to update what they think. They don't really have to listen. And if you make them listen, you're changing who they are and why they're so great to everybody. And it's just not true. You know, I mean, like, I, I, not only do I value when comedians basically update what they think and occasionally apologize for past things, what they said. But then I'm like, I'm, then I become like a super fan of theirs. Like I would say Sarah Silverman, generally speaking, owns some of the past things she said in in a significant way, but you're right. Not all. That Mark Barron podcast was a bit wild. (laughs) And he sort of made excuses for her, but that's Mark Maron. Um, I would say that we talked about it before with the Titus, um, Andy Cohen, Kerfuffle, right? Um, Eddie Murphy is someone who started out uh, saying a lot of homophobic things in his comedy. He is a person now who I would not view as homophobic. He's apologized for that. And I think that he got funnier after, you know, that initial stand up in the 80s. He was able to do other forms of comedy. And that's why we love him. And I think Dave Chappelle takes himself a bit too seriously with uh, the specific line about trans the trans community hating him. Mm-hmm. From from people that I've spoken with, a lot of people don't hate him. They just fundamentally don't care. Like, for example, if we weren't, <laughs> if we weren't going to be discussing this today, that little suggestion on my Netflix would have repeatedly, you know, Working Moms has a new season. Like, it would have gotten skipped <laughs> over, you know? Um, I'm not intentionally seeking out new Dave Chappelle material. And I think it's interesting because a lot of the reviews applauding him when I when when this first dropped that I saw on Twitter were coming from people who I have f- opposing political views with. That's that's all I'll say. Right, Bart. <laughs> yes, the racist. They're like finally which is, someone. Which is you know, so funny because <laughs> remember when we were taking Taylor Swift to task? Uh, speaking of your um, connecting both of them mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, for Breitbart and all these other outlets loving her as this white nationalist girl because she wasn't saying anything in the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. You know, well, like, let's keep that same energy then with Dave. What do you have to say about Breitbart, about um, fucking Dana Lois, like, liking your fucking comedy special? Is is this the audience you're courting now? Yeah. Because it's so intriguing to me the reasons that you talked about quitting the Chappelle show because— white people were starting to take your comedy in a certain way. And now it seems like you're catering to those, the worst kinds of those people. Mm -hmm. And specifically speaking about him saying like the trans people hate me, you know, like, and the gays, you know, um, with the Kevin Hart thing where he says the only people you can't upset in Hollywood are the gays. It's this insistence that he's talking about, white gays. Yes. Right? Because he separates the two. He does separate the two because it feels very much like 90s, 2000s comedy where it was like, oh, we're talking about race and we're like, 
white people, right? And it's like, then white people got upset and they were and, like, oh, you can't say white people. Anyway, but it feels like whenever he's talking about the gays, it's a stand in for white people. Yes. It's a new form of white people that he feels like are trying to take down his friends like Kevin Hart. And it's a complete erasure of the fact that there are black LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. And when he's talking about, you know, the the dollhouse thing, like we know it was a fucking joke. I'm sorry. But... That it to me was a very baffling part of the special. <laughs> like he basically said, if I'm remembering it correctly, he said, well, c- clearly Kevin Hart was joking. I know a lot of people who've been abused. And guess what? None of them got a dollhouse <laughs> hit over their head. That it's doesn't like, mean well, it hasn't happened. Yeah, and they also, you're, so you're saying they haven't been like hit? Wait, what <laughs> yeah. are you talking about? Or with the dollhouse in particular, it might have been a frying pan. Yeah, right. Whatever. Pot, but That's it wasn't what a dollhouse. Or thrown I, in a trash can I, like I, Lee Daniels. <laughs> just <That's>, small <laughs> I just had no idea where he was coming from. And it's. I, it, it, and if you want to talk about abuses, like you have so many jokes about trans people, like trans women are murdered, especially black trans women, at such an alarming yeah. rate. And it was so interesting to see him be so flippant about trans people and then talk about how we need to do something about gun violence in America. It's like. Who do you think is being murdered by guns in America? And I thought it was also interesting the way that he wrapped this special up with saying that I think he said something along the lines of everyone that he talked about, he sees himself in, but he only talked about like he only followed that up with talking about the bits that he made about poor people in particular. (laughs) So it's like, what is this really all about? And he mentioned how his wife did not like the trans jokes, but he still followed through and did them. And then he made this very off base Asian joke. And, you know, it just seemed intentionally obtuse to just to harken back to say that, oh, I talked to my gay friends, for example, I talked to my gay friends and none of them had a dollhouse, you know, hit above their head. It just seemed, like I said, intentionally obtuse. Like, David, you know what you're doing. I don't think that he is. I don't think that there's a joke within the joke. Right. I don't think like think that this is like smart comedy. He's like, the joke at this point. Yeah, it's what he gave us is what he gave us. You know things. what? I would actually say the worst thing I can say about this special is that it's exactly what you expect from a past as prime comedian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, note for note. And he was so specifically exciting and the comedian at one point. So for him to be such a cliche of who that person would become 15 years after is super disappointing. It is because it's particularly when he was defending Louis C.K., right? And we've heard the new Louis C.K. stand-up stuff. It It's basically Louis C.K. stand-up, right? Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's defending yourself uh, against accusations and just attacking Centering people, yourself. Yes, who aren't interested in you. And it's interesting that he opens up with two quotes on the screen, one from Kendrick Lamar, and it says Pulitzer Prize winner, and then one from um, Jay-Z, um, billionaire. Uh, oh, and it's, it's just his insistence of, I'm rich now. Of course, he's equating um, his friendship with Louis C.K. and Kevin Hart to like things he actually wants to protect now. Yeah. Uh, that's where he is now. Yeah. He's really coming from the position of, I'm a rich billionaire. Stop being mean to my billionaire friends. Basically. You know? and, Particularly um, men. Yeah. Uh, it was very telling that the audience like collapsed when he brought up Kevin oh, Hart. Oh, they were, too, you know? yeah, like, they they were having him. a good time. They loved yeah. him. You know? <laughs> and um, <laughs> no shade, but... <laughs> Dave Chappelle, if you think that Kevin Hart is the funniest person ever right now, I have even more questions yeah. about you. 
I mean, the Kevin not, Hart joke is the only one that I kind of chuckled at, how he mentioned that Kevin, you know, refused to apologize and then went on this press tour for the next six weeks, you know, from everything from AM to DM to <laughs> sitting down with Robin Roberts yeah. to apologize. <laughs> like, that was the only thing that I kind of was like, hmm, you know, kind of yeah. like. But everything else just made me uncomfortable, especially in particular the molestation jokes. Mm-hmm. I didn't, uh-uh, no. Oh, you know, he did say— uh, he was talking about being poor as a kid, and he said he asked his dad for three dollars, and he didn't have it. And he goes, "Dad, how are we alive?" But that was kind of funny. I thought, yeah, yeah. And the thermostat, the thermostat the thing, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, mm-hmm. can I turn it up to thirty-six degrees? There are <laughs> right. certain things, but like you said, Lewis, it it it's the delivery a lot of the time. Correct. Because, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The intro and the delivery to the Jesse Smollett stuff when he made a juicy joke about the Smollett. juicy Yeah, like that was funny. <laughs> but then once again, the erasure of black queer people when he said. The gays were like, why are you all so silent about defending Jesse Smollett? Uh, it was because black people knew that he was lying about that shit. I'm, well, I'm like, true. I saw every black queer person I know posting about I it. I didn't even see, aside from queer people, you would have thought Jesse passed away the way my uh, Twitter timeline and Instagram timeline. Like right. every actress, every actor was posting their selfies with him and sending them their well wishes. So it, it was in particular black men because right. I, I believe that it was Steve Harvey mm-hmm. who made a video totally erasing, you know, I think the accusations were that these men that attacked Jesse were being homophobic and racist. Mm-hmm. But Steve made a video only addressing the racism and mm-hmm. not the homophobia, which I think a lot of black men in Hollywood, when they did say something, they erased the homophobia aspect of it and made it about, oh, they're calling him, you know, the N-word type thing. Right. And that's why Kevin Hart got dragged again, too, because he tried he had just had that yes. uh, homophobic debacle. And then he tried to say, I'm with you, Justy. Like, and we were like, yeah. <laughs> and this uh, is like at the end of the month. Yeah. This is like January 29th. I think Jesse was allegedly attacked. Yes. And Kevin's fallout was like the second week of January. Right. And it's just the idea that through the entire Jesse Smollett situation, uh, oh, what we were really, really waiting for was a black, straight, cis male perspective on the oh. situation. That's <laughs> thirsting really, for that hot that's take. That's really what we were thirsting for. <laughs> that's enough comedy for me. <laughs> it's exhausting to laugh, period. And then to have to think about why I wasn't laughing. Come on, way too Watching much. Watching this just made me, you know, side-eye Netflix. Monique deserves her, her roses. Ooh, now I'm thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Give Monique her things since they want to talk about that they don't look at the resume, they look at relevancy. Yeah. Come back out here with that floor length black leather trench coat, Monique. Yes. We talk miss about it. delivery. Yes. Please, oh, delivery. The delivery. Yeah. I would love a special uh, from Monique, and then we can all jump back on Keep It and talk about uh, the derogatory things she says about Oprah and Lee Daniels in the special. Yes. <laughs> and Tyler Perry. And don't Tyler Perry. Tyler. And Tyler Perry. <laughs> Fuck him, right? <laughs> Uh, When we're back, Randall Park joins us. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. 
And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And (laughs) I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1-Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with Randall Park. Hey. Hi. Hi. We're very excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. You are in so many things, uh, which is great because we've seen so many sides of acting that you do. Oh. Like, it's fun seeing you in Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's fun seeing you on Fresh Off the Boat. And now in a romantic comedy. Oh, yeah. Always be my maybe. Yeah. So, like, what do you enjoy doing the most yeah what's the epicenter of the randall park experience you know i think that that whole experience with always be my maybe was was uh the best oh really yeah Yeah, and i think in part because i was doing it with my friends Mm -hmm. you know uh, with ali and anachka and and just people i i really uh just love and uh and i was kind of involved from beginning to end and that was really fun 
Did you meet Nanashka when you started Fresh Off the Boat? Yeah. Okay. I have been yeah. a fan of hers since um, Don't, Don't Trust, Trust the Bee. Mm. Harvard 23. She's an incredible. iconic TV show. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's a she's a genius. Like just a comedy genius, and uh, and the nicest person you'll ever meet. Yeah. What the hell is it like her. making just something with a bunch of friends? How, I mean, what does that bring out of it's you that like, you wouldn't normally have in a mo- in a movie? Uh, it's just like a, a comfort level, and and uh, just you know, you can you just feel more free taking chances, and 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 uh, and just laughing all the time. You know, it's just, it was just a, it was just so joyful. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, no like you know you know, wondering what people's motives are, or you just kind of know them. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and it was just fun. It was just kind of the dream just to keep working with friends, you know. Can you tell us a bit about how you started in comedy? And like, did you see yourself um, being able to be like a romantic lead? Uh, well, you know, I started acting and doing comedy and writing in college at UCLA, and I had uh, co-founded this Asian American theater company while I was there. And uh, uh, we just wrote, we wrote all of our own original material, and a lot of it was comedy, and we got to play everything. You know, we, we got to be everything and it was just so kind of free. And uh, at that time, I thought, yeah, you know, if I ever pursue this professionally, I, I, I would love to be able to do this and play everything and be a romantic lead and be a, a, a just whatever. And uh, and then years after I graduated, I finally decided to kind of pursue it professionally. And I realized like that they don't see me the same way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not getting the same opportunities I did on that stage in college you mm-hmm. know um, so so it, it, it took a while and ultimately I kind of had to write it to, to to do it so what do you think makes a good rom-com um, well I think a lot of people have kind of said our mo- what they love about our movie is that it does things different but I do like find a lot of comfort in kind of the predictable elements of a yeah. rom-com you know and just seeing how the, those elements are, are are done I like that stuff you yeah. know it's very comforting and uh, uh, so I so I'd say a combination of the both hitting those beats that we all know uh, but also bringing something new to the table, you know, uh, um, having an Asian American couple, for example, yeah. you know, like yeah. that's different, and 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 incorporating that, uh, you know, their backgrounds and their, you know, into the into the storyline, and and uh, it just makes it more interesting. But at the same time, you have those familiar beats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say. If you just even took a cursory look at your career and all the, whatever, all the guest roles you've had on things, all the different types of roles you've had, I would just naturally think, oh, well, he's comfortable doing everything. But my question for you is, what is disorienting for you as an actor? What is the most difficult thing you can encounter while working on a project? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, oh, gosh. I don't, I don't know. I like, are you thrown on a set ever? Like, oh, Randall doesn't know what to do. Uh, not really, because by the time I'm on the set, it's like I, you know, I've kind of like gone in thinking I can do this, you mm-hmm. know. But I, I, like, I haven't done a lot of like heavy drama, yeah. you know. And uh, I think that that would be a, a little bit 
challenging for me, even though I've done comedies with a lot of drama in it. But I think because I feel comfortable in comedy, I, don't, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I feel more comfortable even, even if it's like a, a dramatic scene, knowing that like this is a comedy, you know. But, uh, but in terms like just doing like a full on heavy, you know, cancer story. <laughs> like that. You mean you don't want to be in the farewell. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be a, a challenge, but a challenge that I, I'd like to take on uh, eventually. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting too, just thinking about, you know, the trajectory of um being able to tell more Asian American stories, you know, yeah. in film and TV. Um, you know, Fresh Off the Boat was like the first one since All American Girl. Yeah. Uh, we just had Marjorie show on the oh, show yeah. recently and um just thinking about the stereotypes that all races sort of have to play um yeah it's i feel like there's a dearth of dramas that we've seen with asian american characters you know yeah. because we most people who aren't white are usually relegated to mm-hmm. comedic roles right right that's true that is true i think it's starting to change and i think we're we're starting to see kind of uh, just more the gamut of stories being told, but it's a constant like push and a constant fight. And uh, uh, but I do think like yeah, you mentioned the farewell. You mentioned you know like a lot of uh, the projects coming out have been finding an audience, and uh, mm-hmm. that that is ultimately what speaks to this business, just box office or or uh, you know. Uh, ra- you know, ratings and, and viewership and, and all that. And I think, uh, I, you know, people want to see these stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, because people want to see Crazy Rich Asians, which is, you know, it's like you said, it's like the romantic comedy and the thing it's it's beats we've seen before, yeah. but people turn out to see them because yeah. they like those familiar beats. But, oh, it seems like it's a new version of something just because they're it's, non-white. Yeah, <laughs> and that wedding scene alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I, yeah, I think I kind of feel like that's kind of a step in the process, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. kind of need to bring that familiarity a little bit, uh, and uh, that familiarity is what makes some people who normally wouldn't go see something mm-hmm. like that think, okay, this is safe for me, you mm-hmm. know. And and then uh, and then eventually, hopefully, we could get to a point where we're we're kind of just going completely, completely out there and doing things that are, are, are really, uh, that haven't been done before. So when Fresh Off the Boat was renewed, your co-star, Constance Wu. Oh, you're going there. I, I have to ask. <laughs> I have to ask. Were you surprised by her reaction when she took to Twitter? We all know what happened. We all saw everything unfold. Were you surprised by her reaction as someone who works firsthand with her? Uh, yeah, yes and no. You know, I was surprised that uh, she took to Twitter to, <laughs> to express that. But I I wasn't surprised. You know, I get it. You know, I get uh, those th- feelings. I get like uh, um, going into shows for six seasons. It just, you know, it when new opportunities arise, arise and you can't, t- I like, I totally understood where she was coming from. And, uh, I just think it was a, just a big misstep, you know, in, in terms of, uh, uh um, like execution, and then execution, apology, miss some missteps, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, she's human, you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, I think she, she definitely feels bad about it all. Yeah. 
Are you at the point where you can joke about it with her on set yet? <laughs> I, don't, I don't really bring it up. <laughs> I, I pretend like it didn't happen. <laughs> Everyone at work doesn't just talk about it all the time. <laughs> That's confusing. <laughs> on Fresh Off the Boat, you've now, what season are we on now? Seven? Six. six. Okay. Six. six. Yeah, we, we started our six. Um, talk about a, a role that, by this point, you know like the back of your hand. Yeah. What is it like keeping that role like spicy for you? Like, how do you how do you keep it spontaneous, or, or does it does it have to be spontaneous for you? Is it such a is it an easy job, et cetera? Uh, it's 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 a real easy job now. <laughs> <laughs> it's real easy. It's really fun. I mean, it feels like you know, I, like like family at this point. You know, uh, we we it's uh, I wouldn't say it's it's super challenging. And it, it, it uh, I wouldn't say it's like creatively like, uh, you know, the, the fulfilling in, in, in the sense that like Always Be My Maybe was completely like this new thing for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I, I think it's just kind of for me just counting my blessings and remembering a time when like my dream was just to have a job you yeah, know yeah. and to have a regular job and 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 uh and, and just being able to be a part of a a show like like fresh off the boat it just kind of just reminding myself this is this is what i always wanted you know and uh, but yeah at times it's kind of like oh my god We've we've been doing this for a long time. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, because yeah. you had an interview recently, you know, too, where you were asked about, um, you know, Constance's reaction, you know, to the show yeah. getting renewed. And you, you sort of we're in an era where we don't expect most shows to go on yeah. past three years. Yeah. Um, and I know you had said that you all thought the show was ending after five. And it's just mm-hmm. weird to be in an era where it's like. Oh, this show is going into a sixth season. Yeah, what yeah. Is this, I cheers. Mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean the la- yeah the last episode. I mean of the fifth season, pretty much bookended the series. You mm-hmm. know, so so we felt like oh, it's probably mm-hmm. probably going to end. Um, but uh, but yeah, we we, we keep going. Was we there any going. project that you had to like? walk away from yourself because of doing the show again? Uh, I, I mean, there were things, but uh, I don't know. I kind of I kind of had a feeling in the back of my head that we'd come back. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I did. I did just because, like, even though our ratings are, like, you know— n- they're they're not great compared to like I don't know f- what ratings would have been even five years ago, but they're pretty strong for what mm-hmm. ratings are today. You yeah. know, so so I, I I I had a feeling and I was prepared for that, and 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 the things that did come my way, I I, I kind of was like I had to prepare myself to be like okay, that's that might not happen, mm-hmm. and it's okay, you know. And uh, so, yeah, there there were a few things here and there, but but nothing, nothing that I was completely heartbroken over. Thinking about, you know, when you were doing your theater company, uh, was a lot of it creating your own roles just because that's what everyone wanted to do? Or was it just because you didn't see that much desire in doing theater that might have existed for Asian American actors? I mean, I can. I love theater myself. Yeah, and I'm yeah. really just thinking of like David Wang and like yeah, Young yeah, Jean yeah, Lee yeah, and yeah. you know, but 
even those we didn't have that many of them. Yeah, I mean, I I think for us it was it was we uh, none of us came from a theater background. Okay. Uh, you know, we were at UCLA. We were all uh, a lot of us were uh, like uh, like a lot of us were science and math majors, the things that our parents <laughs> wanted us to do. You know, but in the in the back of our heads, we we had this like urge to perform, and and uh, so we formed this theater company pretty much for for them or for for people like like them and like me you know at the time who 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 really wanted to try something like that out but we we had no background in it or no you know we weren't familiar with the plays uh i we became familiar with the plays ever since then but uh but we 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 all we i mean it just felt kind of natural for us to just write our own stuff and we did not know how to write but we just did it you know we kind of just we didn't know how to act but we just did it and uh so so we uh it was an exciting time for us. Who did you draw inspiration from then, you know, like you feeling this urge to want to act, to perform, you know, like who were the people that you looked up to then who you're like, I want to do that? Um, gosh, I mean, I, I grew up on sitcoms, you know, like uh, the same, you know, the same sitcoms we all grew up on, you know, those fam- family ties, stuff like that, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I just spent a good percentage of my childhood in front of a TV and I, I just fascinated by it. Uh, uh, even though I was born and raised in L.A., I had no connection to the industry, no idea how it worked. It was magic to me, you know. And uh, I think that that kind of, uh, you know, stuck with me. It, it stuck with me, and it, and uh, I wasn't even really that aware that there weren't a lot of Asian Americans on, on on the screen. I was just taking in these stories, you know. Mm. It wasn't until I, I yeah I got to UCLA and and met a lot of other Asian Americans and realized, oh, this is like weird that there are no Asian Americans. <laughs> like, oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think the combination of being in college mm-hmm. and having grown up just consuming these stories and realizing that uh, none of them look like me, uh, that kind of fueled us to, 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 to create our own stuff. So with that being considered, when is the first time, do you can, can you recall a specific time, which is like the first time you saw yourself on screen, like you saw yourself reflected where you were like, I can do this. Uh, well, uh, I don't, it wasn't an I can do this moment, but I distinctly remember the very first Asian person I saw on screen. I mean, it's very random and it's Mickey not Rooney. like. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Rooney. and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Ooh. Very authentic. <laughs> Hold top. That, yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, I, I was, it, it, it sticks with me uh, to this day, but I was literally watching the news, the local news. Mm. There was a place kicker uh, for UCLA. He played for UCLA and he was this, uh, I don't even remember his name, but he was this Asian American guy and they were interviewing him. And I remember as a kid sitting there watching this guy and just like being like, I couldn't believe he didn't have an accent. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I've never seen anything like this. But this is wild, yeah. even though I didn't have an accent. You right, know? Right. But just to see it on TV was was really uh, it was surreal for me. And that that kind of stuck with me just over the years. And then and then as I got older, you know, Pat Morita, uh, people mm-hmm. like that, um, uh, the guy on Barney Miller, what was his name? Uh, I'd see 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 more kind of Asian Americans on screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of actors who, when they're on screen, I'm thinking of people like 
Kate Blanchett or uh, 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 Meryl Streep, whatever, they have an air of untouchability about them. And you, to me, are like a distinctly relatable person. Oh. You know, I watch you and I think like that is somebody I know. Yeah. And I'm wondering, what are the like pitfalls of being so relatable? Like, does everybody want to come up to you? Because it's like, you're just someone I think I know. You know what I mean? I watch my brush off the boat. And I'm like, absolutely, I know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't really think about that really that much. I mean, uh, people are always really nice to me and kind and and uh it'd be weird if and, they weren't you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah, right right yeah. you are nice to and me. and they approach yeah uh, i get approached uh especially after the movie came out a lot more and it but it's always it's always love and it, it, it's it's uh always positive and uh uh yeah i i i don't i'm not i'm not really conscious of, of what i kind of you know mm-hmm. uh what i how people take me but uh but uh it's nice it's, yeah it's nice yeah I, feel, I worry about this sort of thing i always think about people like like tina fey or um tim gunn and project Runway. there are certain people where it's just like i don't know what it is about the way that they convey who they are but i just am like oh i absolutely i absolutely know who that is so yeah, if i yeah, saw yeah, you in yeah. person i'd be like well there's my friend no that's delusion on my part i don't know <laughs> you know yeah. uh, has there been like a downside or any type of burden to uh, your visibility and your representation? Because I imagine for maybe a handful of people, you may be the gateway and, and projects that you participate in may be the gateway, like they're, mm-hmm. they're guys into what they define as Asian culture. So has mm-hmm, there been any mm-hmm. downfall or pitfall to being well, a specific I mean, example in a lot of cases? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it it's it's something that I'm sure we all can relate to in that, you know, when when I'm on screen, I kind of represent everybody, whether I like everybody in my community, whether mm-hmm. I like it or not, you know, and I can't represent everyone in my community, you know, um, uh, when the show first came out, it was kind of like uh, he's the only Asian American kind of death sitcom dad and dad on screen and if it's not exactly like my dad growing up then it's not right it's not right you know (laughs) it's not like proper representation and it's like i can't i can't be everyone's dad you know um uh when the interview came out that was like a whole you know a whole nother ball of wax you know like i feel like with every project there are there's going to be uh uh, people who feel like I'm not doing it right, you know, yeah. but that's just, you know, but then there's so many people who, who enjoy the performances and, and uh, I just have to remember that, you know. It is so weird thinking about the time when the interview came out. <laughs> yeah, the what Sony a specific hat. supersonic <laughs> moment in pop right. culture. All of us no, thinking really. like, wow, this is so dangerous. And now it just seems like commonplace to do that slap on the road yeah 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 Yeah. it it was a uh surreal surreal time for me i i i you know it was my the first time i was i had a role that big in anything and it happened to be playing kim (laughs) (laughs) jong-un but i you know we we weren't expecting that any of that to happen obviously you know and as it was happening i was like wow this is uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this was my big shot, and uh, it is uh, going down in flames, you know. And uh, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was it was wild. But um, but I, I look back and have have uh, you know perspective on it now, and I, I, I kind of cherish that experience. Also, you and Margaret Cho played the same character. That's right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> that's right. Tina Fey. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, 
just like when you look at the media landscape now, like who's exciting you? Like who who do you look forward to seeing them in projects? Like and or like what are you watching? Like do you um, watch Succession? I really want to <laughs> no, talk about Succession with anyone. I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what? Uh, uh, Pen Fifteen. I, I love Pen Fifteen. Oh, amazing! That's Good a show. Show. I just mm-hmm. love it. Uh, to me, that 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 show really excites me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, uh, gosh, what I'm not watching as much as I, I, I hmm, what have I watched? I just finished the uh, the last season of Queer Eye, which sure, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, these are both shows where it's almost impossible not to watch the entire season in one sitting. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, it, it fulfills a particular vibe, yeah. and then you just need to keep having it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I just saw that. Um, I mean, what I'm, I'm they... real behind. I just saw uh, Infinity War. I just saw. Infinity oh, War. Wow. I haven't seen Endgame yet. Oh wow. <laughs> And I'm on a Marvel show. You know, it's like, uh, so I'm behind. But you're a busy man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm behind. You're busier than us. We're just yeah. sitting yep. around watching everything. Right. But that's your job. Yeah. That's Fair. your job. If we hadn't seen all these things, you'd be calling 911. Yes. But you, I'm like, oh, he's a balanced, reasonable human being. I guess lastly, this is Keanu Reeves in the movie. Yeah. This, his birthday was yesterday. That's right. Uh, Virgo. What? Yeah, he's a Virgo. He's a Virgo king. Beyonce is this today? No, it's tomorrow. Well, I mean, this is going to come out tomorrow. Okay, well, I, I don't know. Ira <laughs> doesn't understand the ethics of podcasting. Okay? <laughs> um, what was it like? Being on set with Keanu, like, had you always been a fan? Of course. Okay. I mean, I feel like it would be weird if someone was like, I've never been a fan of Here are the reasons he sucks. Yeah, I've right. only seen Much Ado About Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I grew up watching him, um, uh, and I grew up hearing the stories about him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and uh, so uh, I was, I was, I couldn't believe we got him for our movie, mm-hmm. uh, especially like kind of playing him a version of himself yeah. and 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 poking fun at kind of his public persona you know and uh but yeah now that i think about it, it's like yeah keanu he gets it you know <laughs> he of all like icons would get it you know and uh and and he was so great mm-hmm. he was so great i was just uh so uh thrilled being in his presence but then after uh you know couple hours it's like oh there's Keanu you know yeah. and he makes it that way mm-hmm. yeah uh he was very open and 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 told us a lot of stories and and uh uh it's just a a, a a sweet guy I know he's so open about his heritage and background too like yeah. did you all did you always sort of see him as an Asian um American like actor I you know I I didn't really like grow I didn't know I, I thought yeah. he was white grow, yeah. you know grow, <laughs> growing up and I remember when I found out that he you know I think he had talked about it in an interview mm-hmm. and uh and uh yeah it was it, like that's cool and then when we were coming up with the movie we we're like um he he's ours we got to we got <laughs> 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 to get him <laughs> and uh uh yeah and I and he he was yeah he told us a lot talked about a lot of that on, on set and uh with us and uh yeah, it's just uh, another another source of pride for us. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Now with more Asian people working in Hollywood, yeah. you can 
take Keanu take from him. white people. Take him from white people. Reclaim <laughs> him. Reclaim awesome. yeah. his time. We, we didn't deserve him. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being yeah, here. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was fun. Yeah, thank you, Fresh off the boat is, what day is it back? The 27th. Great. Thank you. You know <laughs> everything today. Fresh off the boat is back. On I didn't a- even know that, actually. <laughs> Fresh off the boat is back on ABC on the 27th. Yeah. So watch it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it, which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Troy Sivan, who is normally, I feel like, wandering through a field of flowers, um, listening to Material Girl by Madonna and Kim Petras. With his little Scarlett Johansson face. Yes. um, (laughs) Is he is not happy this week. Mm -hmm. Recently, he took to Twitter to criticize Gay Express, a New Zealand LGBTQ magazine, over their, quote, disappointing and inappropriate coverage of him. It all started when the interviewer for the magazine asked him what he thought were wildly invasive and inappropriate questions about his sex life and queer culture. And I sort of agree. I think it was a crazy interview. I mean, some of the questions are just straight up things you ask somebody you're into on Grindr. Yes. Uh, It seemed like the interviewer was trying to create a sort of familiarity with him. Yeah, absolutely. I don't even have with most people I know. Um, Before we get into the actual thing that upset him the most, it starts out by asking him about, does he have a crush on Shawn Mendes? And when they met, did things get steamy between them? Wow. So the question question is, could you please out Shawn Mendes first? Yeah. Uh, That was gaslighty. Yeah, it was gaslighty. It felt like an interview in... Playboy in 1993. Right, yeah. Or maybe even Cosmo. Mm. I feel like Cosmo, the line of questioning that this interviewer did was very, that, that's where my mind went, Cosmo right. magazine. Who uses the word steamy yeah. in the first place? Yeah. Outside of a Grey's Anatomy <laughs> script writer in 2005. You say Jackie Collins? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But what really made him upset was when the interviewer asked him if he was a fan of Will and Grace, because he's a faggot, um, <laughs> and whether or not he was a top or a bottom. And Troy said, I thought about asking the interviewer about his absolute favorite sex position after that last question. But then I remembered how wildly invasive, strange and inappropriate that would be. Didn't stop him, though. Wow. I think he should have asked him, honestly. I feel like there's a there's a way to this media thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, he answered all of the questions then to only go go back on Twitter and do this rant. And I feel like sometimes it could be as simple as I'm not answering that. Mm-hmm. You know, why play the game? Why feed into it? And I, I imagine it's hard for celebrities to know they can turn down questions because it is awkward. Like when you're doing a Q&A, there is a a semblance of a real conversation occurring and you want it to feel like you're talking to a friend because that's how you probably get the best interview. But at the same time, it's not a friendly conversation. You know, it is business and you should be able to just turn down a question. And this at was random. over the phone, right? This yes. wasn't in person. So it seems like it would be easier when you're not, you know, in person making eye contact to just be like, I'm not answering that. Yeah, right. Especially question. when the person you're dealing with basically sounds like a McDonald's drive-thru. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sitting in your living room or something just like, wait, what did you ask me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, love how, I love how the interview just describes it as, uh, I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the last question. But also, I feel like the interviewer probably would have loved if Troy asked him that question, too. Yeah. It seemed like he was fishing for a date. Oh, good Lord. You're right. Maybe. Uh, Which lends itself to this whole thing surrounding the Shawn Mendes question, too, right? I feel like so much of the way that we cover gay male celebrities now is just this idea that maybe you could date them. They're available? Yeah. it's. I mean, it's... It's the way that you see people insisting that Shawn Mendes is gay or constantly like wondering what he's doing and yeah. like posting photos of it all the time. It's sort of the idea that if he were, he would somehow be accessible to you and you are still some gay tweeting on your shift at Starbucks yeah. in Glendale. Yeah, right. No kidding. I also just want to say that one thing I liked about Troy Savan's response was he didn't dismiss the outlet wholesale and say, oh, you're just trash, period. Mm -hmm. He said he didn't like this line of questioning, which is so much different than that time Olivia Munn responded Mm -hmm. to go fuck yourself and basically tried to repaint them as some, you know, uh, (laughs) petty, scandalous, you know, uh, uh, superficial outlet, when in fact they've done so much great reportage for years and years. We discussed that a few months ago. I think Troy Savan is like a responsible consumer of gay media. Yeah. And I appreciate him uh, just responding thoughtfully to those shitty questions. Right. Because then he also responded to an Out Magazine article, which we have no idea who wrote, by Mm -hmm. the way, because the Out Magazine wrote about the incident and it said written by Out.com editors. And I love when magazines write written by the editors. So you don't know who actually wrote this. Yeah. I guarantee one person wrote it. Yeah. Uh, It said... It's a bit hypocritical for Troy to act as if talking about his sex life is taboo when he wrote a whole ass album about bottoming. Do queer journalists have to adhere to the same respectability politics as straight ones? If Troy's saying that if some fan had asked him about bottoming in a Twitter Q&A, he'd scold them just as harshly. It's 2019. Talking about anal sex shouldn't be taboo, especially in queer media. And he responded 
by tweeting, firstly, Bloom is an album about love. I said that in every single interview I did about the album, suggesting that I made the entire album about bottoming is over-sexualizing me and my work and is reductive. And Phil Picardi um, said that he was sorry for the article, and the article was actually taken down from out. So we'll never see it again. There's no screenshots or anything. Congratulations. <laughs> um, uh, first of all, Madonna's impact with the word reductive. Still with us. <laughs> Look it up. Yeah. <laughs> the best. Um, I just took a sip from my cup like she did. <laughs> Here's the thing. If it is a gay outlet, I think you can form a different sort of, I don't want to say bond, but camaraderie with the person you're interviewing and ask different sorts of questions. But you're right. Like, in a way, what this interviewer did was take that and then jump too far, right. you know, because it is incredibly invasive. This this is not the same thing at all, but it reminds me of Katie Couric asking Laverne Cox those invasive, yeah. like biological questions about trans women. Mm -hmm. It's like what you're doing is taking something where you could Google it, basically, <laughs> and making this person answer it in a sort of objectified you know, uh, uh, disorienting way when it's like there's so much there's so much uh, uh, stuff we can ask Troy personally based on what he expresses in his music. And you're asking these sort of uh, questions that aren't about his art, aren't about what he produces. It's just you and your weird ask Jeeves curiosity. <laughs> and what bugs me most about this is that it further kind of like sensationalizes the idea of gay men just existing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, this line of questioning, I see how, like, you know, we as a society, we've become desensitized to a lot. Like, this line of questioning, you know, on one hand, it's like, oh, that's nothing. But on the other hand, it's like, what exactly was the interviewer trying to get out of him, especially with the Sean Mendez and the Will and Grace? It's just surface, gaslighty type questions. There are also just bad questions, Yeah, too. like, it, it seems like there was no direction <laughs> like or Grace? outline to this interview. I don't know if he had, like, questions written down or if he was just pulling them out of a hat, like, out of his, like, mental cap. Because it was just all over the place and it was just, I don't know, it's, it's kind of, it feels like stereotypical nonsense mm -hmm. with uh, no landing point. Like, and, what was the intent with and this? And also specifically, a lot of these questions just feel like the kinds of things gay guys discuss in text chains, which mm -hmm. is not the same thing as what should be out there as an actual media question. Right. I was going to say that the familiarity of the questions sort of feed off of the fact that Twitter right now just sort of has this, um, there's not really a line anymore. Right. You know? it's, because, a, it's a lunch table conversation that we have in front of everybody. Absolutely. Yes. We have these conversations in front of everybody and media gays who are a part of, <laughs> who are like journalists will tweet about, you know, these things. They'll, and they'll, thirst, they'll, and right, cetera, et cetera. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll tweet with um, porn stars, too. They'll tweet about whether they're a top or a bottom, like jokingly with friends in Twitter threads. So I think it's what we talked about before um, in journalism and just how, you know, there need to be extra steps taken um, and you just can't learn criticism from the internet, from like people dragging people on threads or uh, like we talked about that babe.com Aziz thing about how like actual reporting needs to go into journalism or interviews. Um, this seems like it's someone who got a job, but maybe didn't know what interviewing people is like. And also is just basically obsessed with a soundbite, right? These, yeah. All of these yes. questions feel Clickbait. like just something you can fit into a tweet mm -hmm. that would say something about Troy Sivan that we can quote back to each other. Because would he ask a straight man if he likes, you know, the rock movies and, 
You know, like it just, I don't know. I just, the line of questioning I really just every bugs straight me. man if they like <laughs> the rock movies, actually. Well, Dwayne Johnson, he, you know, he's, he's trying to get away from the rock. Yes. Uh, I mean, there is something to be said about the fact that Troy apparently did have a tweet that he deleted once when Bloom came out. Uh, he wrote like hashtag bops about bottoming, uh, oh. but he deleted it. Uh, I mean, and the song is like, take a trip into my garden, whatever. It's about taking a dick. Uh-huh. It sounds like it. Uh, so it could what be. What a nice way to say it. <laughs> what, a, what a colorfully artistic way to, to paint that picture. Are you a bloom or a <laughs> yeah, stalk? Sprout. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a jack. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm a harried gardener. I, I just want everybody to have a good time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's something very different in him having fun on social media than, you know, the professionalism that you would expect from an interview. And also, by the way, there's still a way to have a productive conversation about explicitly bottoming. Yeah. That isn't just, I need you to reveal something about yourself for my readers. Right. Uh, and I think it's also, if you pick the right celebrity for that. If it's someone who has been frank about sexual positions or whatever, it's it's a part of their dogma, then sure, ask them that. But just a pop star interviewing them? It depends because I don't think that people would ask, like, no one's asked, like, Little Kim and Trina, you know, like the female rappers, Cardi B, even I mean, I think we know everything. I mean, they reveal it in in their music. Uh, She's been a lot of places, seen a lot of faces. (laughs) And she's even been with a lot of different races. She fucked the different races. (laughs) Watch as a spray can disappears in her mouth. Yes. But But no no, one's asking her to elaborate on that. No one's asking her to go into detail about that. That's the point I'm trying to make in interviews. It reminds me of when... um, Nicki Minaj was on Watch What Happens Live, oh, right? Oh, yeah. And Andy Cohen asked her about— Oh, Andy. Like, peop- some question about whether she'd fuck someone. Yeah. And she gave him a look like, nigga, what are you doing? Girl, keep doing your show. <laughs> <laughs> keep doing your show, girl. As Titus said, keep doing your show, girl. <laughs> um, yeah, so in conclusion, I just feel like the idea that the lines have been blurred so much on social media between— sort of who can write about culture mm-hmm. and the way we talk about it with each other, that there needs to be some sort of separation and decorum when you're actually writing for an outlet on gate issues. Yeah, right. And just because it's not as taboo anymore to be a candid, horny, thirsty person on Twitter and that somehow and that sometimes those tweets will even get picked up or, you know, you may be applauded for writing those things. That doesn't mean they're uh, it, it's a journalistically astute way to start a conversation with a gay pop star. Yes. If Sean, if Troy Savon had tweeted, I want Sean Mendez to choke me. Right. Maybe then you can ask him about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyone can wait interview. for it. Anyone can interview right. me about me wanting Joe Jonas because to do that. Oh, I isn't Sean Mendes? Doesn't he like come out every like twice a year stating that he's not gay? Right. You know, he's given tons of interviews. About yeah. yeah. I feel like, and you know, this whole Camilla thing, which I still think is a PR thing, but this whole Camilla thing is just, why would you, I don't understand why you fan those flames after this guy has repeatedly, mm-hmm. it seems like, like I said, twice a year been like, hey, I'm not gay. I'm not gay. Like, why rope him into this? It seems abusive at this point and uh, borderline harassment. Yes. But uh, I will say on the Camilla front, a lot of people, when you say that you think that relationship is a PR move, 
you're insisting that you think Shawn Mendes is gay. I am saying— That's not what Shar is saying. Not, that's not <laughs> what we're saying. We are saying that the amount of times that they are in public and photographed like, by the paparazzi was a clear maneuver to get their joint song, Senorita, to number one on the Billboard. Can't you just charts. enjoy the fact that in Senorita, he says, call me Senorita 70 times. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I will. Uh, when we're back, keep it. And we're back. With our favorite segment of the episode. And the sauciest part of the episode. <laughs> uh, this is Keep It. Lewis, I'm going to let Char go first. Oh, that's nice of you. Yes. Okay. So my Keep It this week goes to, I mean, society in general, but for the most part. Uh, I hate that Netflix show. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part. Okay. So just to give you a little backstory. So uh, back in the spring, Malaysia Booker was a black trans woman in Oak Cliff, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas or part of Dallas. And she was brutally attacked over a traffic incident. It was like a fender bender. And then a month later, like she, you know, she was healing. And then a month later, she was murdered. Um, and so the trial is starting for the guys that assaulted her because it went viral. I don't know if people had seen this video, but it went, it was like a group of men stomping her out. And it took for cis black women to come in and kind of save her. Um, and so as the trial is starting, uh, the attorneys who are defending the guy that is responsible for this beating, they are insisting, they petitioned the courts to have Malaysia addressed by her birth name. And so overall, first of all, thank you to the judge, Judge Garcia, who denied this motion. But I'm just fed up with people going out of their way to disrespect trans people in both life and death. Like, this just seemed like a total, total, total abuse of power. I get that the attorneys have a job to do. I totally understand that. But this seems like just a disingenuous abuse of power, and it's not fair to any of the parties involved because their their whole point in this is they're trying to make it seem like it was two men versus each other when it was him attacking Malaysia off of like I said, the fender bender. And so just in general, even if we can hearken back to Dave Chappelle, the overall disrespect of trans people being uh, continuously used as this kind of social punching bag for everything, this constant parade of disrespect as it pertains to the community, in particular, the black girls in the community, just needs to stop. It needs to stop. And I wish people would um, put a little bit more compassion and a little bit more humanity, even with their, you know, critiques. You know, transness, much like gayness or anything else, is not really up for you to agree with. People exist. People have been here. Trans people have been here. Trans people aren't going anywhere. And so just this overall idea of we can just do and say whatever we want and disparage this marginalized group of people is just not right. And it, it, it gets on my nerves. So that my keep it is to everyone who goes out of their way to disrespect trans people in particular in life and in death. It also feels to me like not only is it in 
unnecessary indignity they're making this deceased woman suffer through. It also seems like the lawyers are trying to paint her through her transness as somehow dishonest. Yes. You know what I mean? Like she had this other name. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. And I don't know the logistics. I don't know if she ever had, you know, her name officially changed, but this woman was living as a woman for years and her name was Malaysia and she needs to be respected as such. You know, um, it just, it's like I said, it's infuriating because it's like everywhere you turn, every headline is something preposterous, you know, if I can use that word. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a word. Not to I be think, too dramatic on Keep It. I think it's a, I think it's a <laughs> three point, three, triple word score. Show, oh, Scrabble. yeah. Uh-huh. Preposterous. Oh, wow. Um, no, it, it it reminds me, too, that I uh, neglected to mention the other week. Um, you know, I was very upset when here in downtown L.A., I wasn't at that restaurant. Um, Las oh, that Perlis, was just a few weeks ago. Um, during DTLA Pride, Las Perlas downtown, um, like, ejected some trans women from the bar after some straight men were um, mm-hmm. harassing them and— Like, what is this? Pose the reality show season one. (laughs) Like it just it, it, it really just surviving in this current political climate and, and being trans is enough. And then it's just like, listen, the girls are just trying to get and the boys and the nonconforming are just trying to get from point A to point B. And we Mm. don't need this unnecessary nonsense. And I just do not. And I will not probably never understand why people go out of their way to kind of work to delegitimize our experience, like just because it's something that you may not understand or you don't care to understand because Google is there. People are there to have conversations with if they feel like, you know, doing that labor around those conversations. Um, But I just I'll never understand why people go out of their way to harm trans people, whether it be verbally or physically or whatever. And I, I this case in particular is one very close to my heart because, you know, we were rooting for her. We thought, you know, she was here to stay. And literally four weeks later, you know, a headline came across that she was gunned down. So, yes, rest in peace, Malaysia, and to hell with everyone who goes out of their way to disrespect trans people. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Lewis, what is your keep it? Um, my keep it's are deeply quaint. So I hope we're all on board for some quaintness. <laughs> we are. Okay. I, I just love curling up with a cozy <laughs> mystery written by Louis Vertel. Well, get ready. <laughs> Me too. They're smallish, so I apologize. First things first, keep it to anyone saying, because it's Labor Day, or because it was Labor Day, that summer is officially over. You guys... September is a summer month. Just because some of you are going back to school or you're getting your, you know, your your masters finally or whatever, that doesn't mean summer is over for us, particularly in LA. Guys, it is motherfucking hot out. It is also the summer. Right. Everyone I know in LA, particularly gays, they've been doing their last thirst trap Instagrams, doing gay summer is over. Oh, it's time for fall. Oh, God, I hope you can find a pool in the next couple weeks in L.A. (laughs) It is 90 degrees all week. Please. It's still summer. It is not Diane Keaton season yet. No. (laughs) Slow down. (laughs) You know, I think that a lot of people conflate this because, you know, Memorial Day is kind of looked at as the the kickoff to barbecue season, and then Labor Day is looked at as, like, the wrap-up. But those rules don't really apply in Los Angeles. Right. No, precisely. Well, also, just like, uh, we also have things like calendars that tell us when, you know, <laughs> the fall begins. And I can see it right there. It's the 21st. It's called the autumnal equinox. So I will just wait and for Serena that. And Serena Williams' birthday, I believe. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yes. I believe good so. knowledge to have. And Fallout Boy calls it, it's Grand Theft Autumn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and then secondly, my keep it is to the Grim Reaper, who took uh, uh, Valerie Harper, the star of the Mary Tyler Moore show from us this week. 
Um, here's the thing. Among celebrity deaths, this is the one, maybe the number one celebrity I was most prepared to leave us because she was diagnosed with brain cancer or something like I think eight years ago now, in 2012 mm-hmm. or so, she went on Dancing with the Stars as sort of a like self-proclaimed farewell run, whatever. Was she on Cloris Leachman's season? Uh, no, she was not on that season. Okay. That would have been really fantastic if they were, though. Okay. Um, Cloris still with us, thank God. She is. Just like Ed Asner on the Mary Tyler Moore Show, just like Betty White on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Yes. Um, I just think in general, I didn't see enough of a reaction on Twitter about Valerie Harper. I'll just say a couple of things. Um, I will say that I was drunk most of Labor Day weekend. (laughs) Uh And when I saw your tweet about Mary Tyler Moore and Valerie Harper, I was like, well, this isn't out of character for Lewis. Yeah, right. Tweeting about Mary (laughs) Tyler Moore. Oh, Lewis being himself. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But what I found out... in the studio today, yeah, uh, I was heartbroken. I loved the Mary Tyler Moore show, and I loved Rhoda. Oh, specifically. Uh, it was a wonderful spinoff that I don't think that we—I don't think we pay enough attention to Mary Tyler Moore show right now, but we really don't pay enough attention to Rhoda. Where she got uh, married and divorced. Yes, yeah. married um, and ran through the streets of New York in her wedding dress. Right. In the episode of Rhoda's Wedding, Ooh, the two-part. The drama. Um, I watched that show on Nick at Night. Um, oh, yeah. Because they would air Rhoda uh, after they went through the run of I wish of they would Mary put Tyler it on Moore. Hulu. You know, oh, yes. Mary Tyler women. Moore is on Hulu. Yes. It is? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You can watch but the whole Rhoda's thing on not. it. Yeah, correct. I've been binging Designing Women. Oh, now that please. It's on. We can have a whole specific Designing Women episode. <laughs> we'll go there. We we will do that once I marathon through it. So then Lewis and I will jump into that. Um, who has Rhoda? But yeah, give it up. Yeah. But I just want to say that in an, you know in the era before a time when you would have actual queer characters on the air, Rhoda is the kind of person I would watch and want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, because she was one super sarcastic, which is always gay bait. But two, in addition to that, she was self possessed, super loving with Mary, and it's just a friendship you believed. And I feel like. Uh, I, when I tweeted about Valerie Harper, somebody responded to my tweet with, sarcastic people are deeply loving. And I feel like that is the gift of that character. You really, through her uh, uh, having a backbone and being and being uh, frank with Mary and calling her mayor all the time, you just really got the sense that you were seeing somebody with a soul who was rad as hell. And like, it, ma- it made you think, I mean, made me think specifically as a queer person, like, that's who I feel like. like I, I would be that character on this show. Kathy Griffin talks all the time about how she didn't want to be married growing up. She wanted to be Rhoda. Mm-hmm. And among, you know, the honorary gay men in female comedy, I think she's number one. Which is yeah. weird because I feel like you dress more like Mary than Rhoda. It's true. The cap <laughs> sleeves I'm wearing right now are actually uh, uh, one of the kids on Family Affair, I feel like they look like. <laughs> uh, um, I do find that sarcastic people, you know, are very loving and fun to watch on shows. I mean, Daria, for example, you Please, know, was a character yeah. with so much heart. Like you could see Earth that signs. behind it. Um, and it's <laughs> different from characters who are just like demonic to each other. Yes, yeah. right. Uh, yeah, you believe their relationships because they could be so withering too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I don't, because in a way, the wholesomeness of the show was offset by the humor of the show. And I think that mix is what makes the Mary Tyler Moore show so great. I and think, by the way, I was just watching old episodes of Mary Tyler Moore show. That's a show in the 1970s where Betty White was still in her 50s. I mean, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty astounding. I mean, she was in college when she was doing Zigfield Follies. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Uh, I do uh, want to note that I purposely brought up Earth Signs because I know you had to keep it for uh, the astrology. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> are, are you pro-astrology in a de- serious uh, way? No, not in a serious, serious okay, way, but yeah, I do yeah. enjoy it in my pastime. Okay, mm. gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I would say that we need more shows like that and more shows like Happy Endings um, where characters were 
sarcastic totally and, correct. and mean yes. to each other, but loved each other as opposed to, I think everyone is trying to make their own version of like, it's and it's always sunny, which works for that show, but you don't want to watch comedies where it's clear that people hate each other mm-hmm. yeah. or where they're just too fucking nice to each other. No, I... Because friends are not nice to each other. That's what I mean. I still need... I always talk about this. I still need the show about gay friends where they are veep level mean to each other at all times because that is how it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, this week, uh, I'm going to switch it up a bit and I'm going to do a keep it up. Oh, my God. Oh. Your optimism frightens me. <laughs> We uh, made it. This was a heavy okay. episode. Yeah. Uh, my keep it up is to my favorite album to come out this year, um, Norman Fucking Rockwell by Lana Del Rey. She is the moment. Quite. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's interesting about Lana is that uh, if you interact with her stands on social media, um, when they're not... Um, just tweeting memes or um, not online because they've taken too much Zoloft. Uh, they will also insist that everything that she does is iconic and the best album ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lust for Life was not that. And Honeymoon had its moments, but it was sort of eh. Um, this goes to the heights of Ultraviolence, which I've always thought was her best album, and it surpasses it. This is a beautiful album. Um, it sounds great. Um, it just feels personal, um, in the way that we talked about Taylor Swift last week and about how, uh, her songs are a bit like a Douglas Sirk melodrama. It's like, it's not realistic. Um, you get the sense of what she's trying to say, um, but at no way does it feel personal or relatable. I mean, this album does, um, the song, fuck it. I love you is amazing. Um, the the opening track, uh, Norman fucking Rockwell, um, California, Cinnamon Girl, a song um, with... The not the w- same as the Prince song, I assume. <laughs> it's not a cover. Can you believe it? Um, it has the line like, if you hold me without hurting me, you'll be the first who ever did, which is such a Ugh. chilling... Is this from my song. diary? It's, it's, <laughs> it, 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 it is... I also listened to this album um, with... Someone in New York that I am Ooh. in love with. Oh yeah, um, and it was very, um, it was it was very piercing, to 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 uh, um, to say the least. So um, I I have I have gone through the gamut of emotions thanks to Lana Del Rey. And on my flight back from New York, I listened to it on repeat. Oh my god! I was just oh saying about goodness. her. You know, when she came out, she was somebody who I don't I don't want to say was dismissed by certain critics, but was basic was pigeonholed as somebody who has a kind of. A woozy aesthetic. Lofty. I always yes. I always say she's somebody who seems mm-hmm. like she's recovering from a difficult nap. Um, but <laughs> that you know what? Weird. performance. Yes, like, I felt like she, it was the fact that she's able to have recovered from that performance and basically made a career out of that performance. Like this is who I am. Yeah, but what's interesting is throughout the years, it's not like she's ever really abandoned that feeling, mm-hmm. but she's injected it with so much more urgency. What you're talking about here, these lyrics that are. Uh, specific and uh, commanding. And I really applaud her for basically sticking to exactly who she is while advancing upon the idea of herself. Mm -hmm. A friend described her as um, having performed Instagram culture before other people were doing it. And now the way it's that she's kind of like Billie Eilish, right? Yeah, we very. Uh, well, Billy pro- would would have grown up on this kind of Got music because Billy, as you know, um, is 
still a child. Yes. Um, she's on Miss Frizzle school bus right now. She reminds uh, me of Euphoria. <laughs> yes. Like if yeah. Euphoria were real life. Yeah. Um, Billy you, Euphoria. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, it's just that all of those things that she does now um, and the way that she's been presenting her music are how people present themselves on Instagram and social media yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, just very over-emotional, just very aloof. piercing, aloof, but also just like uh, sometimes um, like heart-rendering. Yeah, and um, also very fuck it. Yeah, mm-hmm. or just like opening like here I am, <laughs> like opening a vein. Mm-hmm. Um so <laughs> that was dark. <laughs> Very Freddy Krueger uh, of me. But um, also, again, we stand people who give us albums because, again, albums continue to be a dying art as much as we celebrate. Some, I'll say we celebrate one, a new one every three months. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is an album that feels like an album. It feels like a moment. Uh, and I don't think we give her enough credit, too, for um, being just a fucking fantastic songwriter. Yeah, she's fabulous. Yeah. Mm. So You have me wanting to check it out. As Oprah would say, that is a religious experience. (laughs) (laughs) Lana Del Rey is the sister I never had, the mother everyone would want. And the friend that everyone deserves. I don't don't know know a better person. person. (laughs) (laughs) You go and continue doing what you do, Lana Del Rey. Marry the sea. I feel like she's somebody who's very like, you know... uh, like she'll have an entire album about how she died at the beach, you know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> she has some intrigue about her. I honestly, you know, would never wish Lana Del Rey um, ill, but I hope I'm still alive to listen to her posthumous album. Oh yeah, I think yes. we already have a couple of them. Yes, yes, it's her ghost writing it. <laughs> yes, yeah. in every sense of the word. She's Casper's aunt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's our show. Um, we will see you next week. Thank you, Shar, for joining us Thank as you for our guest me. co-host. Uh, which view host would you feel like you Ooh, represented since today? Since the view is back, I don't know. You know, my fave is is Joy Behar. Mm-hmm. I call her Auntie Joy. Okay, I love Joy out of all of the girls and Sun. I like Sunny Hostin. So Joy mm-hmm. and Sunny. Okay, cool. A Joy with a Sunny rising, yes, as it were. Uh, and thank you to <laughs> Randall Park for being here as well. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style and you'll find the best mattress for you at ashley the new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.